In the digital reality, evolution over revolution prevails. The QA approaches and techniques that worked yesterday will fail you tomorrow. So free your mind. The automation cyborg has been sent back in time. TED speaker Jonathan Wright's mission is to help you save the future from bad software. This podcast is brought to you by Eggplant. Eggplant help businesses to test, monitor, and analyze their end-to-end customer experience and continuously improve their business outcomes. Hello and welcome to the show. Today I've got a very special guest who's got some amazing tech skills that you're going to really not want to miss out on. He's a principal software developer in test. So we're going to be finding out how he's been establishing some of the latest capabilities within QA and testing. So welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, do you want to just give us a bit of intro about, um, you know, your details, you know, the best way to get contacts to you um, and, you know, also, talk a little bit about you know where you started. Uh, yes, sure. So I basically started my career in IT in back in 2011, and I basically graduated from college. And I was like, testing was a, like second citizen for me that days. And I thought that I will be developer, so I got trained in development. And then somehow my manager asked, you know what? At the moment, we got some projects, nice projects in QA. Do you want to join QA? So initially I said, no, I, I don't like, you know, testing space. I want to be a developer. But then somehow she convinced me that she's like, okay, this is not a traditional QA. You will be like a white box tester back in 2011. And then she basically got me that. I said, okay, white box tester, what do you mean by that? She's like, you'll be writing unit tests. You'll be basically dealing more more with code rather than doing a process stuff. So I started my journey in 2011. I started working as I said, as a white box QA. And uh, I started working for a ticket master uh, in back days. And we were basically building REST APIs for them and we were following Scrum and Agile. So like for me, to be honest, I'm lucky enough, I never worked in waterfall model. So we we were building REST API, as I said, and it like we were building SOAP and REST both. So we were using, <clears throat> we were writing a lot of unit tests to test the stuff and it was built in Java back days. So we were using JUnit to write unit tests. I was doing a lot of pair programming with developers and helping them, you know, writing unit tests and getting my head around, you know, what things to be tested at unit level and API level. And then we were using SOAP UI Pro for API testing at that time. So we were writing a lot of groovy scripting to do the API testing. So as I said, it was just a backend project. So we basically delivered a lot of account management APIs for them. And it was like a good, good, good project. And I learned a lot. And I was working on Java that day, that time. After I just finished that project after a year and a half, and then like another .NET project came up, and I was more again inclined towards Java. And obviously, I was in my early days of the career, and I was like, you know what? I don't want to change technology. I want to stick to Java. And then again, my manager, and to be honest, I will give credit to her for that. She's like, you know what? For you, you are very young, and technology should not matter. You have this chance. Why don't you change and go to .NET? And I was like, you know what? No, no. And then somehow, basically, she said, you know what? And I was in India that time, and she's like, okay, if you start working on those things, maybe you know, in future, you can go out. You know, .NET is growing so fast. This that I said, okay, fine. I started working on .NET, which was like for ASOS. So we were basically building automation framework for them in .NET and Specflow that time for front end. 
I started working there and to be honest, after some time, I started liking .NET as well because in Java, I did a lot of backend testing. I never used Selenium in Java. And for me, the first time when I used Selenium, it was with .NET. And I liked Specflow and then I worked with .NET and Specflow for a bit. And then I moved to UK and basically we were doing the whole refactoring, replatforming for ASOS. So I continued with .NET for a bit and we were like, to be honest, I never worked as a traditional QA like the way I see QA in the industry today. So I always worked very closely with developers. So like in company, like even when I was young, like I was just going around like for a quick drinks outside and the people are like, oh, are you a developer? So for me, like I had that image always because I was very close to developers and like I always believed in, you know, shifting the whole testing to a little bit left. So yes, in early days, because my experience was not that great. So I had so many UI tests. But if you ask me now, I always ask question to myself and I have same sort of conversation with developers as well as QAs as well. Like whenever you add a test to a next level from a unit, you should ask a question to yourself. Why are you adding that that test there? Because first finding a defect at that level will be, you know, in a later stage and fixing that defect will be very expensive. So I always believe in, you know, writing your test at at the start so obviously if you can do tdd that's best so if you follow like tdd or a tdd approach that's amazing but if not that but then you should always ask a question to yourself when you go up in the ladder in the test pyramid that we have so that that sort of journey brought me to uk and then i started again obviously i was working very closely with developers when i moved to uk we were again i was in dotnet did dotnet for a few years even after moving uk and then we said you know what the whole ui testing it's changing because I was more focused on the UI when I moved to UK. We I was working on the ASOS uh, website, which was mainly I was looking after the checkout. So we were doing the redesigning of checkout in the whole microservice architecture. And then we said, you know, the .NET and the whole thing is not very mobile friendly. So we need to, at some point, move to JavaScript. So then we said, okay, fine. We started building the single page app and all. And then we started using WebDriver IO for the testing as well. So it's 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 like for me, I basically did Java, I did .NET, and then I did JavaScript. Now, like I'm at a point where I can, to be honest, I don't mind technology. I can I can do like things things for any any technology. Which obviously, I can upskill myself for a week, but I'm sure technology is not a problem. And like the way I see, I think for QAs, they should be open enough to you know for any challenge. I don't think technology is a problem. At the same time, your basic like the the way I see. QA is your basic principle should be very strong. You should be in a position to talk to your architect, talk to your tech lead, talk to your developer, and you should challenge the design. Because when we say SDET, for me, it's not only testing, it's design as well. And you should be part of the design sessions. And if they are saying, okay, fine, we want to design this thing in that way, you should be thinking two, three years ahead. Because obviously, if you're a developer, you are very inclined to like oh i will design my class in that way i'll design my interface in that way but as a qa mindset and if you are very technical when we say sdet for me sdet should be very technical enough and they should know about designs so then we should challenge about the design saying that you know what i don't think this will scale up in production so those thought of things should be you know thought well in advance before even we reach to that point so it's it's mainly like you know thought process and then changing the mindset as well like for me 
in my experience i seen like since i moved to ireland and i started working here at smartbox and when i came here we had a thing again like if i go back in 2011 that okay this is qa this is dev so we had a pretty much similar thing here where we were not you know working very closely with developers and then it was like okay developer is building some code qa is testing so you know the cost was huge you know to fix that thing and then we said okay you know what i think we should work very closely with developers so we started that and now we can see that improvement like the way we deploy our software to production it's like single click deployment so in like different teams like we have a mindset where you don't have to deploy your code to an environment to test so the way we write our test we basically want to make sure that these tests can be executed on ci pipeline itself before you deploy to a physical environment so we deploy to gitlab workers run our test and then you know we promote so it's like now we are at a stage where pretty much half of the teams are doing single click deployment and then it's 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 amazing because the transformation that i've seen and now everyone is responsible for quality it's not like qa is responsible for quality so we basically do like i work very closely with the qa director here and obviously the architects in the company so we basically want to make sure that and like my qa director feel he's helping me a lot with with that to drive that is like it's not only qa you know developers should take ownership so it's everyone's responsibility to deliver the quality so qa is just making sure that we have that process but obviously we are expert in that domain so we make sure that we have right framework for right things so like okay guys let's use cypress for ui testing let's use rest sharp and rest assured for backend testing but again like for me personally like i'm a big fan of having automation test na same technology that your application is using so for example if i'm writing a vue js application or react application i want my ui test to be in javascript so that you know developers will be familiar with that thing and they will be able to write it if my developer is writing javascript in his day to day life and if i decide as a qa architect or principal qa saying that you know what i want to have ui testing framework in dotnet or in java then obviously i i don't think they will be able to help me in writing those tests then qa will be in a different line and developers will be in different line so i believe in that that your test automation should be in the same technology or same language that your application is written so it'll be easy to test and you know easy to execute and you know even in ci cd pipeline that will help a lot so yeah so so those those are the things that we have and also like i'm a big fan of uh, contract testing as well because i i believe in drawing line between different systems so i know like in a traditional way the way we test software is we say you know what because we don't understand a bit like sometimes we say we don't know much detail about other system we don't know what's the boundary between different systems and when you start automating system without knowing those things you will have so many tests and then you will never ever be able to run those tests in your ci cd pipeline because those tests will be flaky enough because your tests are depending on different systems so getting each and every system in a sync will be difficult sometime because when you think about ci cd your system should be in isolation and you need to have a boundary with different systems so we were facing that problem and then we like okay why how how to you know overcome these problems so we basically implemented contract testing here and with that like let's say if i'm working on one application i will have my boundary line defined with different applications saying that okay i'm application a there's application and i'm talking to application b and application c so i will have a contract 
with those applications saying that okay i will make this request to you guys and i want this response so those request and response will be recorded into a json file and both application will have to sign that and that will happen through their ci cd pipeline so there is no manual process so i can give you a good example so let's say there's a checkout application who is talking to one of the payment provider which can be either stripe or data cash or whatever it is or let's say apple pay now we can have a contract with apple pay saying that i will call your api with this data i want this response and that will be recorded into a json file and let's say my company and apple both will have to sign that and they both will somehow have to validate that in their ci cd pipeline so in that way one we can test our application in isolation our test will be robust enough there won't be any flakiness in the test because we know what's the response from these guys so we can always mock that because if we don't have contract testing in place then still we can mock but then there's a risk because we don't have any baseline to mock mock from so i I'm, as i said i'm a big fan of contract testing and i think that's that's the way forward for it's not only for qa i think it's for software engineering because now obviously everyone is going to this microservice architecture and if you're a microservice in a company you will have 100 services and if you want to write a test i don't think it's a wise idea to test all 100 services all together yes we can have on let's say three or four or five core business users and needs as an end to end test which we can test in a proper integration environment but to test everything i don't think every service will be deployed so you need to find a ways which is, i think contract testing can be a, can be a good fit and for us like it's it's we can see a huge value as i said our ci cd pipeline for different applications like we can deploy it to production in 5 minutes and we don't do any manual testing all all the checks will be performed in the pipeline itself so so that's this is how i see like you know my my journey is like obviously i always look for the new technologies it's not like oh javascript is the one that i want to do java is the one that i want to do i always keep learning like if something new comes up i basically for example for uh, recently i was just working with locust for performance testing and load testing because for front end we use lighthouse which is also like we introduced recently and we have that in the pipeline we have a performance metric set and obviously if something goes up and down our pipeline will fail you won't be able to deploy code same for back end we use locust you to do some sort of performance testing which also we run as part of our pipelines and basically locust is like python based tool so i like recently i did some python as well and as i said i think every technology is same so we should not limit ourselves and i don't think we can use same tool for every testing so different tool have their different objectives like if i say i want to test everything with selenium yes i can do it but i don't think that will be um, a good approach so maybe selenium is good for something where rest sharp is good for something rest assured is good for something so we need to choose right tool for you know to do the focus testing otherwise if we start using one tool like for me we use cypress air for ui testing but that's not for cross browser testing that's for functional testing and it's a very good tool which i to be honest i can see obviously there are other tools like cypress in the market but in cypress basically you can do your functional testing in a very a good way and that test execution is very fast and you can run everything in the pipeline you can mock all the requests which are going outside the browser so you can have like a good example you can have cypress for a functional testing which you can have let's say 100 functional test your application then you can have one of the javascript framework if your if your application is in javascript to do cross browser slash cross device testing which you can either use nightwatch protector or webdriver io but your test should be let's say if you have 100 functional test which 
pretty much tested your application but now you just need to prove that will my application work on different browser and different device you can only have four or five core business journeys so that because executing those selenium tests will be expensive so you need to have very minimal test but obviously at the same time we should not compromise on the code coverage or you know business coverage as well but that that has to be communicated like the way we work here is we work very closely with developers and product owner as well and we say you know what okay for this thing we got unit test for this thing we have api test as i said we have this thumb rule that okay whenever you add api test you should ask a question to yourself why i am adding this api test why can't why can't i test this at unit level obviously there are things that you can't test at unit level like if you want to test request or http you cannot test at http level you have to go you can't test at unit level you have to go to a api level so so but we have that thing that we should we always ask that question to ourselves before we add the test because as i said earlier whenever you add test upper in your test pyramid it's very expensive to maintain the test and you know expensive expensive to fix those defects as well so we we have that sort of mindset in teams and like i do maybe very frequent you know sessions with teams saying that guys this is how you know we should we should work or we should have our mindset so same for ui test as well like we say okay fine we have unit test we have api test then we have functional test which is as i said for ui view cypress and then we have cross browser testing which is any tool can be used like obviously different tools have their different purpose but i'm sure based on your requirement you can pick any tool and then on top of that you can have some sort of exploratory testing as i said for like ui performance we use lighthouse which is also in the pipelines very easy to integrate it's just if you want to do manual testing you can test in chrome so the, obviously there are different tools in the industry it's just we need to find which tool is good for application which tool is good for our infrastructure the kind of infrastructure we have but but the only one thing is obviously as a as a alone qa you you won't be able to achieve this so you need to work very closely with your team and you need to be like okay i'm also a scrum developer because the way industry is changing is now i don't see qa and dev as a two different streams it's ideally a one stream but obviously being a qa mindset being a qa expert we will be able to assist the teams with the best framework that can be used and obviously we can do the basic core framework work but then if a developer is working on a ticket he or she should be able to add test and as a qa you should be basically approving those merge request and if there's a, there are any gaps you should be leaving your comments on the merge request also you can do pair programming like i do a lot of pair programming as well i'm a big fan of pair programming so if there is a complex ticket i always always say that guys if you want to do some pair programming let me know i'm always available so i do pair programming with different teams whenever i have that opportunity i don't miss that because i love pair programming and i think everyone in the qa should think on those lines because once you are closer to the code if you know that okay you know what development is not difficult because i know there are few guys they think that oh this is a difficult task i think nothing is difficult these days you find everything on internet like for if you take my personal example like if 6 7 years back if someone will say you know can you uh, build a rest api as like okay i can but maybe it'll take me a month but now if someone will ask me to do that i said okay, i can do in 3 hours because with the whole docker and everything and if you just go to internet you can just spin up a mysql container on your machine in like 2 minutes you can have a spring boot container in 5 minutes and you can have everything up and running and with like teams like ci for gitlab and circle ci you can have a proper ci cd in like 2 3 hours which is amazing because long back when we were using jenkins and hudson and all it it was not not very friendly and you know setting up those things because docker was not there 
So you need to have a machine to run a different operating system, to run different database and things like that. But these days, it's very easy. So like we should always think from a point of view side that, okay, if I'm building something, I should be able to run this before without deploying to an environment. So we should start thinking about, you know, dockerizing stuff, you know, have a different container. And then we should keep in mind about how to scale these things up in production. So it's it's not only doing a functional testing. As, as a good QA, you should think about application monitoring as well. Like, and that that should happen before you deploy your code to production. So you should start thinking from more of, obviously there are diff, there needs to be a different stage that, okay, I'm a technical QA, yes, you have to be technical, but then there are ways that you need to step back. If your application is mature enough, then you should start thinking from a point of view side that, okay, I'm a customer. So you have to have that mind. So this is why the QA role is very important. So you need to be a part of team where like, obviously people will say that I'm contracting, contradicting myself, but this is how our life is. So you need to be very close to developers, get the application up and running, have a good test at right place. And then you need to start thinking, will this work in production? Is it, are we operational ready? Will this, let's say tomorrow the app is ready and then there's another team who wants to work on it. So you need to be on top of it that will I be able to deploy this in any environment? Will I be able to do a local development setup on Mac OS, Linux, Unix, Windows? So because there can be different guys. So the documentation is also very important and your thought process is very important. So like for me, all the documentation should be part of your code repo itself because I confluence is good, but sometimes you need to bookmark these pages. So I think it's good to have documentation as part of your readme file. If you think your readme file is getting too big, you can have different readme file for different things. For example, readme file for local dev setup, readme file for all the tools that we are using, readme file for the automation process, like having your automation test pyramid and different tools like, okay, Locust is for load testing, Cypress is for UI testing, Symphony web test for API testing, REST SARP for API testing. These these are things. Everything should be documented as part of the code repo. So if there's a new guy basically joins your team, you just say, okay, you know what? Because normally people say, okay, follow this step. You just say clone this repo and you should be good to go. So so you need to have that mindset as well as a QA. You need to make sure that your product is basically, your product can be used by everyone. It's not only developer. So you need to see, from a different stakeholders point of view side, from product owner side, from a customer point of view side. So basically your mind, you should keep changing your mind. For a week, you're like acting as someone. For another week, you're acting as someone. So it's, it's like when you go very closer to like, okay, we are ready to deploy to production because if you're working on a new services. So obviously early days, you will be very focused with the tech stuff. And then you start thinking on the operational line that, okay, will this work in production? How will I scale this up? Which sort of, dashboard we need for monitoring is it a client side application is it a server side application do we need Neuralink? do we need kibana do we need something else and then you should work very closely with your product owner or business guy saying that okay which sort of dashboard that you want what are the critical flaws so we should be creating those dashboards we should be testing those before we deploy to production because we need to know because there can be few things that are expected behavior but if we deploy to production and without knowing them then there can be a noise in business and, you know, so it's it just as a QA, I think you, we need to step up as a team and 
we need to keep changing our roles as a, as a, you know the way actor basically plays in a different movie like different role so for us also like a, in a whole uh, sdlc uh, life cycle we need to keep changing our role and obviously keep keep learning new stuff so it's it's not only like okay i'm a qa i will do i will do what you know what is written on the ticket saying that these are the few acceptance criteria and these are fulfilled so i don't think that's that's the right right thing to do for me i think we need to do lot more things and i think there's a lot of scope in the qa industry that, that i think is a good thing for us and uh, we should you know work very closely with dev team as well as everyone in the business but we need to you know uh, scale scale our uh, technical skill as well as the different mindset approach that's that's i think this is how i think what do you think jonathan No, I think I think you're absolutely right, and that was a fantastic intro of what some of the challenges you've been doing. I got some, I made some notes and of some of the key observations there, which I think are really, really useful for for, for the listeners. I love the idea with the same language. I think that's a really good good point because it does mean that you deviate from the stack if you're you know you switch to something that isn't native. So I, I'm in the same kind of same boat as you at the moment in the sense of. You know, we're developing React Native, um, so it's JavaScript. You know, part of it is I want to be able to release into their pipeline. Um, you know, of course, you know, it's going to be different because the tools runway to get a, an app into the App Store are going to be different, but I need to be able to fit into their CICD landscape, which is great. I think, you know, your idea around thinking ahead is brilliant you know i think the idea of being able to sit there with when the code's been you know conceived to literally say is this going to be able to scale you know is this going to be the right kind of architecture you know i saw a talk the other day which was saying that you know people use design patterns because they're the the current thing right but maybe that's not the right one to do um and you know also kind of kind of gives you that opportunity to do and i know you mentioned atdd and and bdd and tdd uh, but you know that idea is you know if you look at something like specification by example for goico and and the kind of executable specs you know you might have a well this you know needs to be 250 milliseconds well what why does it need to be 250 milliseconds well it does because you know we might scale up to a million and you know you need to understand what those volumetrics are looking like so you need to have an understanding of what you put in there that actually says if this runs less than that then it's you know it's not going to be right because you know you can make the you know there's certain decisions where you know rest isn't the most efficient way when you scale up so we had a, a problem where we had um a simple rest uh, endpoint which then put everything you you would post into uh kafka you know and part of it is you know once you're on kafka in a bit a similar like an enterprise service bus you know part of it is you can kind of guarantee the delivery of it you know you've got consumers you know it can go down it can come back up you know it's not a problem but hitting the the, the front api is you know doesn't guarantee delivery right so if it comes back with a 504 or comes back with something which is um an error you know how does it deal with the error handling how does what are those negative tests you know using rest assured you know you're going to go through and you're going to start being able to write those scripts that kind of say you know I'm going to do the negative paths um you know do the happy testing as far as the kind of the contracts and where those contracts got to go to but also I'm going to understand well if I'm mocking out this server with wiremark or whatever it may be you know that I understand that some of the payloads that could come back are you know that 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 
that contract, you know, that already exists or something else. So, you know, you need to deal that in. You've got, you've got upstream and downstream systems like Stripe. You know, you've got the, you know, the payment gateways, which you've got codes, which can automatically say there's no funds available. So you've got to write those into your scripts to say, you know, card being declined or, you know, some other things. So, you know, part of it is there's a lot of stuff that you'll, you know, is your advice around thinking ahead makes a lot of sense. Um, and it also, it's that mentality is it's kind of going, well, Within the contract uh, testing, which is, it sounds like you've done some amazing things at Smartbox, uh, uh, you know, part of it is, you know, you understand where your ecosystem is and where it ends. So you understand your system thinking around which kind of nodes you're actually going to be in and out of scope. You understand what payloads need to be delivered to each one of those and what the, the, the request response pairs would be for each one of those transactions, even if it's just a template. And then at least other con- contract testing can go on with the upstream systems that can take those as a reference to what the schema looks like and what they could be potentially be expecting from, you know, a, a, an approved uh, a transaction, for instance, into, you know, their, their back-end systems. So, you know, I, lo- I love the idea of the marks and the stubs and the shims and the idea of really understanding what the scale is going to look like. And I also like love this idea of the, the the being able to deliver it into the pipeline, and you know also this kind of low code kind of approach that you know you're documenting in your your GitLab or your GitHub repository. You know you're giving people understanding of how they would build that locally. So you know if they're spinning that up on on a Linux uh, box versus you know maybe they're using Docker for, for Windows uh, or a Mac. You know is you know, from a schema registry perspective, you know, is there any configurations that are different? You know, is there any kind of uh, containers that they've got to pull down, any dependencies? You know, understanding all that really helps. And I think from a documentation, it's it's one of those things that just enough is, is right. And it also supports new starters to be able to go in and enter and be able to, to pull those down, run them on the local one then, you know, deliver them through a pipeline and maybe go to OpenStack or, or wherever else you're doing. But the, also the idea of things like monitoring as code, you know, that idea of being able to, you know, actually have some wrappers around, well, if I'm de- deploying, I got Prometheus. If Prometheus, what's my my data I'm going to put onto Cabana? Uh, you know, what is it that I, what is a key important? Is it the IOPS? You know, is it the amount of time? you know, just for the request and response, the CPU, what, what is it that you actually wanted to understand and monitor from an operational sense? So you're kind of then thinking not only just ahead, but you're thinking on an ops perspective of, you know, what would those guys be looking at? And if they're trying to do like root cause analysis or pinpoint failure, they're trying to understand where the issues come from, then they've got all the monitoring, they've got all the logging that requires, they've also got history of what the the you know everything should look like so your apm can do that kind of capture of of uh, uh, and and help people diagnose issues in production so there's a lot of really valuable lessons that you've kind of added in there and it sounds like the maturity of every every role that you've taken is increased on each each kind of step you know for people who are trying to learn this technical stuff do you have any kind of tips for kind of um, you know, places that you, you, they could do their online training. So, you know, like Udemy, you know, where do you find that you get the best resources when you go online? Uh, I think to be honest for me, like, uh, as I said earlier, if your uh, basic programming concepts are good enough, 
then I think learning these new things is very easy because if you take any example of any of these new tools that you have in the market, they are just a wrapper on the Selenium. So if you know Selenium, you can do these new tools. So for me, like I don't, I, I'm sure like Udemy and these LinkedIn learning and few learnings all are good. But for me, like I don't uh, learn stuff on any of these paid uh, platforms. I just find, I just go to the tool and just take a look at their documentation and try to, you know, get my hands dirty with that. So I basically play around a lot. And then if I stuck somewhere, then maybe I just search on internet. What What's this error? But I normally don't do any, any course for any new technology that I learn. I just go to the documentation. If I want to learn Locust, I just go to the documentation, do a little bit research. First, I run without Dockerize. So I just do a normal installation, play with it. And then I just basically do the Docker docker one so i always basically when i try to use something i want to make sure that there's a docker image for it and that's stable but as i said when i learn i learn without dockerized stuff and then i see okay there's a docker image that because when you want to like for example there are so many automation projects where you can just learn stuff you can write code but people are not executing those tests in their day-to-day life that's because these these tests either are flaky or they are not easy to run in the pipeline because for example as a QA you say you know what I want to add this test to the pipeline then your tech lead or architect or one of the senior developer will say you know what we can add it but can you make sure that your tests are not flaky so it's it's like and then you know running those tests like if there's a docker image for the framework that you're using that will be very helpful so for example like we are using cypress for uh, front-end testing and it's very easy for us to run that in the pipeline we just run on chrome and firefox in the parallel for functional testing and it's a very handy same for locust like there's a docker image so it's like for me like i don't learn uh, i don't do any full online learning but yes i take a look at the tool first i do some research like which are the new tools i always make sure that I spend, I have some spare time for my learnings in a week. Like every week, I just see oh, what's new in the QA space, what's new in the development. It's not only QA. I just look at the development as well, like which framework is good, what's what's happening with the whole new JavaScript frameworks, what are the best way of testing these. And then if I find something new, I just take a look at the documentation of the tool and then I just get up and running on my local machine. And then I will make sure that it's not only up and running, I have some sort of test project to have that in CICD as well, so that I can just go and sell that to business saying that guys, because otherwise it's very difficult, right? If you work in a big company and you did some sort of VOC on your local machine, but that was just to how to write tests, but that's not important because the whole end-to-end journey is important. So you can write tests, but then your test will be on your machine or maybe on your GitHub repo but we are not executing those tests on day-to-day life. So we should always think about when we think, okay, fine, let's use this tool. So we should do an end-to-end evaluation that, okay, will we be able to use this tool as part of our CICD and why we need this? Because I'm sure we already have something. Every company has something in place. So we need to prove that, okay, these are the tests that we have. These are the problems that we are facing at the moment. We want to change these things with this new tool. And then you should go with a small POC, which is end-to-end, as I said, have a sort of CI/CD and then maybe propose to your manager or you know someone in the business. So, but but yeah, I prefer this approach because if we don't learn, then obviously the way technology is changing, I think we'll be lost somewhere. So, do you have any kind of test projects you know that you use to to, to demo your end-to-end capabilities? So, like I I, I use um, so React Native for instance. You know, I I'd want to do it with a dummy app. You know. Uh, or if I'm trying to do something like using Locust, you know, I'd like to, you know, run hit some performance. So, so you know, 
uh, you could use something like blazedemo.com as a kind of a sandbox environment that, that you can hit the APIs, you can hit the, the front end. You know, do you have any kind of favorites for, for that kind of stuff? So like for me, as I said, I, to be honest, I always, let's say if I want to test Blazemeter or if I want to test Locust, if I want to test Cypress or any of the UI framework, I basically build a small UI application for myself and have that in the pipeline rather than hitting existing one so that I can do the whole end-to-end pipeline because, you know, I need to see that, okay, if Let's say if I want to propose something to React or Vue.js, then it's very easy. I can just see the download from one of the GitHub repos somewhere on the internet saying that, okay, hello, world, GitHub applic- uh, Vue.js application or some sort of form application, something like that. And then I basically have that in my pipeline, deploy that as part of my pipeline, and then run test on it. So I basically follow that approach. But yes, you're right. Sometime I just maybe find someone on the internet that if I want to do some quick thing, but I normally prefer approach where you build application. If you are not building, it's fine. You can find on internet. And then you try to host that on your local first, get your head around, and then you need to transform that into a pipeline. On And I use GitLab, to be honest, and I like GitLab. It's very easy. So I use GitLab for my personal projects, and I follow that approach. I try to run unit test, even though if I don't write, and then I can add some. I run API test as part of the pipeline as well. I deploy in my pipeline, which is, as I said, not on the physical environment. It's deployed somewhere on the GitLab executors. I run my test, and then I run my UI test as well as part of the pipeline before it's deployed. So which is, like, I, I follow that approach. But sometimes, yes, if I need a very quick win, then I just take one of the existing website. If you are playing with the UI, you can just take any e-commerce website and then play, play with it. Sure. And, and you know, I was in, uh, I flew back from, from, from Bordeaux a couple of days back and, uh, we were using Captain. I don't know if you've seen Captain. It's a, a Git repository for, uh, kind of unbreakable cut pipeline. But the idea is it works with GitLab. The, the idea is it gives you kind of those quality gates that tells you based on lots of historical runs what the you know deviation of that execution is at different levels. So obviously at UI, performance, API, it's got all that information and it kind of gets it into that kind of, you can see where your gates are on different environments and you can drill down into it. Do you find that you've got any tools that you like within the CICD pipeline for, to, to do something? So... To, so, like, to be honest, for us, like, we, we use GitLab, as I said, and uh, we have uh, some check as part of our pipeline. For example, if I want to deploy to environment, which is, like, let's say my first environment, which can be development environment or staging, there are different names that you can follow. But if my, obviously, if my unit test is failed as part of my pipeline, then obviously it will not go further. So let's say if anything fails and then you won't be able to deploy. So same goes, as I said, we run unit test, we run API test and we run UI test before we deploy. So if any of these guys is failed, also we validate contract as well that we have with different teams, let's say different applications. So that also we validate before we deploy. So we make sure that everything is green also, we check environment health check as well, because sometimes what can happen is your code is okay, but there's a problem with infrastructure. So what we do is before we deploy, we make sure that environment is healthy. So we do all the quality checks, which we have in a separate GitLab YAML file, because I, I that's another, I think, good thing maybe for audience here is, uh, so the way I think is uh, you can, normally you have a one GitLab YAML file for the whole project, but the way I see is, uh, 
you need to have different GitLab YAML file for different activities. So for example, all the quality checks should be in one GitLab YAML file. So then in future, if you want to add something, you just update that GitLab YAML file. Same goes for, you know, the static coding analysis thing. You can have a YAML file, you can have five tools for it. Something for reporting, you need to have a separate GitLab YAML file so that your file won't be too big. So, so we do have these all different quality checks before we deploy and then uh, as I said, we do the environment health check as well. So we have a health check URL. We just hit that and says, okay, is it green? Everything okay? Are we able to connect to different systems? Blah, 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 all okay. And then we deploy. After deployment, the first thing we do is we check health again. Are we healthy? And then we do some validation. Again, obviously, everything is automated. So we deploy, we do the health check, and then we check. We run our uh, functional test or some sort of validation in the pipeline. And if that's good, then it will go to an action environment. And then if that's good, it will go to an action environment. And then, obviously, for production, at the moment, we are not doing, but we have a manual click. You just click and it'll go to production. And as far as kind of your prod, so you're kind of doing continuous uh, deployment uh, over continuous delivery there. But you're also, once you've got into production, do you use any, like, real user monitoring? Do you add anything to your APMs to do kind of just check things are okay, synthetic monitoring or tests? So we already have, as I said, uh, these dashboard built up. And we have uh, alerting policy uh, for different application that, okay, for example, this particular resource will get these many requests and should, you know, respond with 200 or, you know, based on the your requirement. We have all these configured. And if after any deployment, obviously, we push the application version as well. Every time when we deploy, it'll go to our uh, logging systems, whichever we use. And then uh, if there's anything wrong, you will get an email. Obviously, as I said, we have predefined uh, alerting policy. So if something is wrong, you will get an email saying that, hey, uh, this bit is not working. And obviously, if you are building something new, so it's just like there are there's a trade-off always. So if you are doing some improvements on the existing APIs or a functionality that you have, you don't have to build the monitoring thing. But if you are introducing a new resource, then obviously as part of the development, we build this as well. So that when we deploy to production, we basically make sure that this thing is, you know, getting populated and we are hitting, you know, and we are getting the response as expected. So, yes, we, we do consider those things as well as part of the deployment. But as I said, it's very stable now. And then, yes, if something goes wrong, we get an email. Now, you know, due to the coronavirus, we were getting email yesterday. We are like, oh, what's happening? Because we were not getting the, you know, expected traffic because people are not doing doing stuff so it's it's like but these things also we need to keep revisiting them because otherwise it's gone up or down and then you know you need to keep revisiting your alerting policy as well that okay what's what's let's say you roll out in few new countries then you need to think about your alerting policy as well because it can either go up or down so but yes we do consider those things as well as part of the release well thanks so much for that it's been a great session today i really enjoyed time and congratulations on the new role as well so we'll definitely have to get you back when you've been there a little bit longer and you've got some more exciting stories to share with us all right have a great day 